Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com give. Good afternoon. The Lord teaches us that it's good to go into a house of mourning and to remember what our Savior suffered. We're going to look at a very short section of Scripture this morning, which is Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, which teaches us a very essential truth of our Christian faith, and that is this statement from God, that without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And my goal today is to remind you of a few simple truths which are essential to the Christian faith and are essential to your salvation. What I'm going to tell you today is essential to determining what will happen to you when you stand before God on Judgment Day, which is very near. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There are a few basic things that this passage teaches us that are true throughout all of Scripture and summed up here. One of those things that's assumed in this passage and taught to us is that you need God's forgiveness. Your fundamental problem in life is that you are, by nature, an enemy of God. You were born into a family which is at war with God. And it has been at war with God ever since the father of that family first rebelled against God, his maker. This rebellion, initiated by our father Adam and loyally continued by us, is called sin. When Adam disobeyed God, he cast us into a state of rebellion against God, which we call sin, and we continue in that rebellion to this day. And if we are at war with God, if we're by nature his enemies, as scripture teaches us, the only solution to our problem is to be somehow reconciled to God, to be made at peace with him instead of at war with him. And since it's our sin which stands between us and God, our rebellion, our sin somehow must be forgiven. And it must be forgiven by God because he is the one who has been offended. He has done nothing wrong. We are the party that has offended him. But how is this forgiveness, this pardon, this remission of sins brought about? Well, scripture teaches us here in many places that God's forgiveness is something that must be purchased. It's something that must be bought. Forgiveness does not mean that God takes sin lightly. It does not mean that God doesn't take our sin seriously. And we see this in the fact that the forgiveness of our sins must be purchased. If we think that forgiveness means God doesn't take our sin seriously, then we easily fall into thinking that our path to freedom from sin is to also stop taking sin so seriously. After all, if God is so willing to forgive your sin, it can't really be that big of a deal, right? You know, don't be so hard on yourself. God doesn't think your sin is a big deal. In fact, he sent his son Jesus to die just so he could show you how your sin doesn't really matter to him. 
This is a very common but a very false gospel. When you hear this kind of talk, don't listen to it. God's forgiveness is something that is purchased and it is purchased, bought at a great price. And we see here in Hebrews that the purchase price of God's forgiveness is the shedding of blood. In the Old Testament, God commanded his people to perform animal sacrifices. In those sacrifices, the blood of the animal, which represented its life, would be drained from it in front of the altar and poured out in front of the altar where the animal would then be burned and offered up to God. And boy, was there a lot of blood in this system of sacrifices. Leviticus 4 says, has commands for what the priest was supposed to do in the course of one of these sacrifices. And it says, then the anointed priest is to bring some of the blood of the bull to the tent of meeting. And the priest shall dip his finger in the blood and sprinkle it seven times before the Lord in front of the veil. He shall put some of the blood on the horns of the altar, which is before the Lord in the tent of meeting. And all the blood he shall pour out at the base of the altar of burnt offering, which is at the doorway of the tent of meeting. And the end result of this sprinkling and pouring out of blood, God says, so the priest shall make atonement for them and they will be forgiven. This was just one sacrifice described here that the blood of one bull was to be poured out at the base of an altar. Which to many of us, when we read that, if we're, we haven't just become totally, it hasn't become numb to us, we go, oh. But these sacrifices were offered daily. It was a riot of blood, as Pastor Tim is fond of saying. In 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon dedicated the temple to the Lord, it says, now the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice before the Lord. Solomon offered for the sacrifice of peace offerings, which he offered to the Lord, 22,000 oxen and 120 sheep. Sorry, 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the sons of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord with blood upon blood upon blood upon blood. The altar couldn't handle the number of sacrifices they did that day and they had to consecrate the whole court of the tabernacle so that they could do all of these sacrifices and pour out all of this blood to the Lord. And do you know what God's response was to the pouring out of that blood? It was that he came down and filled the temple with his presence and his glory. But why is blood required to purchase redemption? Why must there be so much death? The answer is because of who is being sinned against. God is the one who is sinned against. The original sin, the eating of forbidden fruit, seems to us like a minor infraction. And yet the penalty was extreme. God said, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And the reality is, is that there is no such thing as a minor infraction against a holy God. Now we're very good at stacking up some of our sins that we commit in relation to other sins that we commit. 
and thinking, well, at least I didn't do that this time. I did this little thing. Or we take our sins and we hold them up next to the sins that we see in other people and we give ourselves a lot of comfort as we look at our sins and come up with ways of, uh, of convincing ourselves that our sins aren't really that bad. But the terribleness of sin does not proceed from our judgment of how much damage any particular sin does. The terribleness of our sin proceeds from the holiness of him who is sinned against. Any sin against God must be paid for. And because of God's holiness and perfection, all sin must be paid for with blood, with the death of the one who sinned. It has been this way from the very beginning and it will be this way to the end of all things. This is what the book of Revelation says in chapter 14. As the apostle John is seeing visions of judgment, he sees and it says, and another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven and he also had a sharp sickle. Then another angel, the one who has power over fire, came out from the altar, and he called with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, put in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, because her grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle to the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and threw them into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. Just for reference, St. Louis is about 200 miles from here. Blood up to your chin from here to St. Louis. God's forgiveness can only be purchased by blood because God's wrath against sin is severe. And he is perfectly just in his severity. There is nothing unreasonable about God's decree that we die for our sin. The wages of sin is death. The just and equitable payment for sin is death. And this passage here teaches us that reality again and again. Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. God's forgiveness is available in Jesus Christ. And only his blood is sufficient to pay for your sins. The blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. God told his people this, even in the Old Testament, before Christ had come, he told them, I'm sick of the blood of bulls and goats. You've given me that, sure, but I don't have your hearts. And he says, the blood of bulls and goats doesn't actually take away sin. The author of Hebrews says the same thing, that the blood of bulls and goats does not take away sin. We learn this from the fact that the high priest in the Old Testament had to go in year after year, time after time, into the tabernacle offering a bull again and again and again because the blood of that bull did not actually remove the sin of the people. Only Christ's blood can do that, the blood of a perfect sacrifice. Your own blood also cannot take away your sin. 
You cannot remove the guilt of your sin by harming yourself. You cannot escape the penalty of your sin by taking your life. The only way you can appropriately suffer for your sin is to pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That's what 2 Thessalonians 1 teaches us. The wrath of God is coming on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Unless you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, you will suffer the wrath of God, which is to say only Christ's blood is sufficient payment for your sin. And his blood is sufficient. Jesus himself says in Matthew 26, and when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you for this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Christ assures you that his blood is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And not just for the forgiveness of the few disciples who were gathered around him when he said that. He said his blood was poured out for many. The saving power of Jesus' blood has not run out. It will not run out. It is sufficient to cover every last one of your sins against God. It is sufficient for everyone in this room. It is sufficient for everyone on the face of the earth. His blood is shed for the forgiveness of sins. He himself declares it to be the case. Ephesians 1 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us. Revelation 5, and they sing a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Christ has purchased for God with his blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. He has accomplished that work through the power of his perfect blood. And not only is his blood sufficient, but it's available to you. Acts 10.43 says, Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. That's it. Everyone who believes in Christ's name, you and me included, receives forgiveness of sins. That is an absolute statement of God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And why is it that we can have forgiveness if we believe in Christ's name? Well, it's because he shed his blood for our forgiveness. Romans 3 says, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. 
And both the passages I just read, one from Acts and one from Romans, both said that the prophets have all said this, that we have redemption in Christ's blood. Well, what prophets are we talking about? What prophets was Luke talking about? What prophets was Paul talking about? Well, one is the prophet Isaiah, whom we read from this morning. And Isaiah says, Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. If you didn't know it, we just sang from the prophet Isaiah. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. This is the eternal testimony of God. It has always been God's testimony that we need his forgiveness, that that forgiveness must be purchased, that the purchase price of that forgiveness is blood, that he provides, he himself provides the necessary sacrifice, and that all we need to do to receive this forgiveness is to place our trust in that sacrifice that God has provided. We're gathered here this afternoon to fix our eyes and our hearts on that sacrifice. Today is the day that we have set aside in particular to remember the cross. And the cross of Jesus Christ serves two purposes for us this, or this afternoon. One, it is the assurance of forgiveness for all those who confess their sins to God. You have sealed up in the book of God the record of Christ's payment for your debt. Have you ever been double charged for anything when you go to a store or buy something online? Anybody? And you have to write and say, no, look, you know, I bought it once and it came out of my bank account twice, right? And you have to show the record that you paid. Or imagine yourself paying off, finally paying off your mortgage or finally paying off your student loans or finally paying off all of your credit card debt and you throw a big party, you have a feast and then you get a call from the bank the next day and the bank says, we don't, we don't have any record of you paying this debt. You still owe us $100,000 and you can't find your records. You threw away your bank statements And you have no record that you paid your debt. (laughs) Imagine being in that situation. This is not the case with God. God is a perfect record keeper. He has written down for us, we've read it this morning, the record of the payment of your debt that you owe to God here. And it stands in God's eternally true word. This is the assurance of forgiveness for all those who confess their sins to God, the cross and the testimony that we have in the gospels of the cross and Christ's suffering there. But the cross serves another purpose for us and that is that it instructs us how grievous our guilt is before God. Do you ever struggle with believing that your sin is really that bad? Well, you need no look further than the cross of Jesus Christ. You need only remember that the only payment that God is willing to accept for your sinful debt is the blood of his own dear son. 
We just sang this in one of my favorite verses of any hymn in stricken, smitten, smitten, stricken, and afflicted. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, here at the cross may view its nature rightly, and here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed, see who bears the awful load, tis the word, the Lord's anointed son of man and son of God. Let this truth be the strongest deterrent for you from sinning. To remember the price that was paid for our sins on the cross by our Lord Jesus Christ should make us sick to our stomachs when we think about engaging in sin now. Look at the cross of Jesus Christ and hate sin. This truth that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness is not just an abstract theological truth. It is true for you and your sins. Your sins require the shedding of the blood of the Son of God. And the blood of Jesus is sufficient to pay for your sins. And it is available to you right now through faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. So come to him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we give you glory and honor for the great love that you lavished on us through your payment of our debt. We thank you that while we were still enemies, you laid your life down and died so that we might be reconciled to your Father and now our Father so that we might be right with him and have peace with him. I pray that you would assure every weak conscience here that is doubtful, that knows the weight of their sin, I pray that you would comfort those hearts and consciences and cleanse them knowing that your blood is sufficient to pay for our sins. Father, for those of us who think lightly of sin, I pray that you would magnify the cross the crown, the thorns, the spear in our eyes and in our hearts that we might know that sin is detestable in your sight and the soul that sins must die. We thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ and pray that you would apply it to us now through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.